Okay, everybody, welcome back. This is part two of the census. And we have here with us our special guest, Perry Francis, who's been extraordinary in, in the dissemination of information that you need to really be informed of the impact that you are, that you count, that you matter, and your completing that census is critical to you, your children over the next 10 years, and your community being served. Your census counts. And everybody who's listening today, which again, I thank you so much. This is, no kidding, a 911. Wake up and smell the country. <laughs> this is an emergency call. This is an emergency call. Get your census done today. And anybody you speak with today, you know, make sure they're dealing with or have completed their census. Make sure your churches, your community leaders are having this be important. Call into your morning shows, whatever state you live in, particularly those that are so critical. And we only spoke to a few of them. Michigan, uh, Georgia, Florida. We're at New York, New York, New York. So wherever you are, this is critical that you get in action today, that you share this, that you are impacted by this conversation today. Welcome back, Perry. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back again, Sheila. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. So where does the census come from? And where, where do you think that fear, you talked a little bit about the fear, but what else do you see about that? Well, you know, we have a long history in this country of not necessarily... So saying that we have a participatory democracy and not encouraging each and every one to participate. Mm -hmm. For example, in the census, you know, once again, I'm asking you to listen from who and where you are, but I'm speaking to my lived experience. So I am an African-American. I'm a person of African descent. Yes. The census began, you know, in the 1780s with the very first, you know, gathering of the Continental Congress. Once this country was established, they'd established that every 10 years they were going to have a count of every human being in America. Mm. except for people of African descent because we were in some way, in some states, the majority. There was more in the 1780s and 90s, I promise you, there was more black people in, in South Carolina than there were white people. Mm -hmm. So fear of, of, of those southern states having a disproportionate amount of money, power, and respect led to the three-fifths compromise, mm -hmm. which was where it was determined since we weren't actually free people, we weren't participating in, the de in our democracy, we weren't voting, although we were for sure participating in the economy, in fact, we were the engine of it, we were to be counted as three-fifths of a person so that we would downplay the dis distribution of resources, of money, of funding, of representation, of seats in, in Congress and seats in the House to those Southern states. We can carry it forward. 1960 was the first census where you were able to self-determine your, your racial identity. You, you, you know, it used to be the census man would come or the census person yes. would come and they would say, 
who you were, you know, I'm an African-American, but I'm also, my family's also fairly ethnically ambiguous. There have been times where I have traced my ancestry, my ancestors, and in one census, they're marked as colored. In another census, they're marked as Negro. In a whole nother census, they were marked as white or Creole. It's the same exact person <laughs> 10, 20, 30 years later. It just depends on who came to the door and what did they see? What was their story? Who did wow. they think they were talking Unbelievable. to? Unbelievable. So, you know, before it was other people determining for you. And then we know that there are um, communities that are, the, the government calls them hard to count. Um, <laughs> we call them hard to colonize. Because these are communities that resist. They're like, mm, that, mm. and we know that it's not, that in, in many ways the fear is founded. It's not an unfounded fear, but we're asking people to, to look from what they have to gain and to base their decision on facts, not on fear. Because, you know, yes, we are in a, in a situation where people who are undocumented, people who live in a mixed household where someone might have paper, someone might not, households where there might be extra, you know, extra relatives, extra children besides who's on the lease might feel hesitant, but your landlord cannot get this information. ICE cannot get this information. But if someone, the, you know, census day was April 1st. So if you, whoever was in your house on April 1st, count them. Wait, do you count the undocumented people yes. as well? Yes, the census is actually one way that undocumented people or people on temporary status or people mm -hmm. on... So you may not be able to vote, but you can participate in the census. That's how you can let your voice be heard and get resources for your community. The census counts residents. Residents. If you live... In, a in the United States of America, you don't actually even have to live in a home. I'll get to that later. But if you live in the United States of America, you should be counted in the census. It, they ask that you fill one form per household. So whoever is the hold head on, of yeah, household. Hmm. That, this is just so rich. What is the impact financially when one person does not complete the census or completes your census Everybody out there, hello people, make sure you're listening. What is the impact? So I'm just going to use the numbers that I know in the state of Georgia. It is between $1,800 to $2,500 per year per person for 10 years. That is not allocated. So, you know, we look at the impact that these $1,200 stimulus checks had in people's lives. Yes. Now, that, of course, was money directly to you, to your pocket. Yes. This is money that's directly to your community that shows up in all the different ways. But it is as though you are choosing to leave at least two stimulus checks per year on, on the, the table. table and just walk away and say, I don't really want that 20 20 some odd thousand dollars by the end of the 10 year period. That's how much it well, adds it's just $2,500. Let's just use 2,500. Uh-huh. So everybody listen. So if it's $2,500 you leave on the table over 10 years, that's $25,000 not represented for you, for you and your community. So you think about what wow. 25,000 extra dollars could do. So not to say that the whole 25 would go to this pot, but if you look at the collective, 
right? Everybody in your zip code or everybody in your school district, everybody in your county, what $25,000 extra dollars would do for your school? What $25,000 extra dollars would do for your parks? What $25,000 extra dollars would do for your senior center? What $25,000 extra dollars would do to pour into SNAP benefits and unemployment benefits so that you know, when a crisis hits, people aren't so negatively impacted. If you live in any place and, you know, given the changes that we're currently experiencing in our environment, there's almost no place that hasn't, that doesn't experience some form of natural disaster. When you think about not filling out your census, think about, well, when the next tornado strikes or when the next hurricane comes and I go to apply for FEMA, is FEMA going to write me a check? to get me through until my insurance company can, can give me an estimate on my home? Or is FEMA going to say we're out of funding? Well, how they run out of funding is you didn't, you didn't do your census. <laughs> People are at home right now wow. with homeschooling their children and they're saying, oh my gosh, I have so much such a newfound respect for teachers. Teachers should be able to make whatever they want. Teachers should have whatever they need. Well, maybe you can't you know, take your teacher on a shopping spree, but you can fill out your census. You can support them in having what they want and what they need. $25,000 per person. Over a 10-year period over of time. Over a 10-year period of time. And we are walking away and saying, nah, I'm good. If you have a child that is going to be in Head Start or receive free or reduced lunch, if you've ever, if you ever in your life have been someone or know someone who has received a Pell Grant, for, for education, who has received SNAP benefits during a time of need for food subsidies, who has received Section 8 housing, who has, you know, um, opportunity zones. If you are a business owner who's ever received a tax abatement for, for putting your, your business in an opportunity zone, if you are a developer who, who builds, who has ever looked at providing low income or subsidized housing, all of that is based upon census data. Wow. If there are 10 people in my apartment complex or my housing area that don't fill out their census, that is $250,000 over 10 years for my community. Right. Say here in Georgia, it could be from Buckhead to Stone Mountain to Vine City to, to Cobb County or an area in Cobb County. You know, so that's like 10 people not completing their census. That's over a 10-year period of time, $250,000 in funding yes. to your community. Right. And so what is, what is sad is that a lot of times the very communities that are hardest to count or hardest to colonize that are in the most need of these resources mm -hmm. are also the ones that because of, you know, whatever story, whatever their lived experience is, their perception of the United States government and what it has or hasn't done for them prevents them from participation. And so it then becomes this vicious cycle. The people who need this the most are the least likely to respond. We can look nationwide and we can see even inside of this crisis Right? So right now, in the state of Michigan, we're at a 64% response rate. In the Detroit metropolitan area, where the high crisis is hitting the hardest, and in particular in the African-American community, we're at a 43%. In Pennsylvania, overall, we're at a 59.6% participation rate. 
In Philadelphia, where populations are the densest, where the health crisis is the worst, we're at a 46%. In New York City, which was, you know, the hot spot. For COVID. Overall, you know, we see Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio on the news every single day. You know what they haven't said? While you're at home, go ahead and fill out your census because New York City is at a 51% response rate. 51%. But in in the actual, New York State is at 51%. New York City, so that's, you know, yeah. the five boroughs where people people can't quarantine because they're too densely populated where, you know, most black and brown people are, are concentrated is at 46%. So our communities are lagging behind. We're lagging behind where we were in 2010. And we know in 2010, we did not have a full, fair, and accurate count. And so this also becomes the communities that are undercounted, are the communities that are underserved, are the communities that are easier to ignore, are the communities that are gerrymandered, are the communities that don't have what they should in terms of resources and they don't have their what they should in terms of representation. Couple more questions. Um, what about our prisoners counted? Do they need to complete the census? How is that done? Is it done fairly? And then the other question is homeless people, and as you say, are people, friends, family members who live outside. Right. Are they counted and do they complete the census? So there are campaigns that focus specifically on making sure that um, our unsheltered community members, our friends who live outside, get counted because they do count. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions in on the census is, what is your address and do you rent or own? But there is there are mechanisms to capture the data from our unsheltered individuals. People who are not at full liberty, so our prisoners, people who are who are, you know, housed by the government, um, they are counted. However, if you think about where the resources for those those prisoners go, they are not counted in the county or the zip code or the area oh, where they I last see. lived when they became incarcerated. They are counted in the county where they're being housed, where their facility is, which then, you know, creates more of a reason, more access to funding, more um, impetus for... Privately owned prisons. Right, so private owned prison corporations are are a thing in this country. Hold on, and then how are they counted in the census? Are they counted counted in that county where they live in? So that's why all these people actually push to have these prisons in in, in private. As of April 1st, 2020. Because you said it's who's in your home April 1st, 2020. Right, so if you were incarcerated on April 1st, you counted on the census where you were incarcerated. But if you were at home on this uh, COVID release or however they... Yeah, but it's not even about that. What it's about is, like, you would wonder why people would push to have this private corporation come in and run this prison and put this thing in their community. Because they're making money coming and going. Mm. That community that might be in the middle of nowhere, that the only thing it does have in the prison, is automatically now going to receive more federal funds 
based upon the population count, based upon all of those prisoners. So it's gonna make it seem as though it's a place with way higher population, but that also in turn bankrupts the communities from which those people came. Oh my goodness. Right? Because they're not being counted where they were arrested or where they lived or in that community. So that money is not going to those schools. It's not going to those communities where... Go keep going. It's going to the place where they're now being held, which is another reason why we want to keep holding them longer. Which is also, and everyone who's listening, it's why it's so critical that you count... Right. That you complete your census. Because this also then feeds into the political structure of who you're, you, and I really do mean you, are putting in office. And how, who, who are even the people that you can choose from? Census data is used to determine districts. It's mm -hmm. used to determine congressional districts. It's used to determine the House of Representatives. Okay? So... Who, who are even the candidates that you have to choose from is in large part determined by your census data. So if you look to see who are the communities that are being gerrymandered, who are the communities that are having their, their districts constantly, re, the lines redrawn to disempower them, is the same people who aren't filling out their census, is the same people who aren't voting. Okay, I'm going to bring it to, again, to the what's happening now, to the personal, and, um, you know, again, to my community, but listen from your community. So I live in Georgia. Right now in Georgia, one of the hottest things that is, you know, in the news every day is the developments on the Ahmad Arbery case, which was in Brunswick, Georgia, which is in South Georgia, right over the, right, you know, near Florida. And a lot of the, the scrutiny is being placed on the district attorney and the prosecutor who had conflict of interest, who knew the man who murdered this man, who, because he worked for them. Guess what? That district attorney is an elected official and she has run unopposed <laughs> for many years. She's been in place since the nineties. Wow. So who determines that how big the district is that even voted in, you know, right now, you know, we're in election year, COVID or not judges, district attorneys, State reps, school board members, city council members, all of these things are up for grabs. How we know even what district we live in and who we get to choose from is based upon did we fill out the census or not in large numbers in our communities. You want to have the best people to represent you. And how you do that is you participate. So everyone listening, again, you matter. Your vote matters. You count. Your census counts. And everybody who's listening today, which again, I thank you so much. This is, no kidding, a 911. Wake up and smell the country. <laughs> this is an emergency call. This is an emergency call. Get your census done today. And anybody you speak with today, you know, make sure they're dealing with or have completed their census. Make sure your churches, your community leaders are having this be important. Call into your morning shows, whatever state you live in, particularly those that are so critical, and we only spoke to a few of them, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Florida, 
were at New York, New York, New York. So wherever you are, this is critical that you get in action today, that you share this, that you are impacted by this conversation today. Um, Perry, this is really, Perry Francis, guys, this has been so informative, so awesome, you know, so educational. You know, I want to uh, give you an opportunity to give your final remarks, and then I'm going to give some suggestions on getting it done. Anything else you want to say to complete what you have to say today? So I just want to say that you count. You matter. Each and every one. I want to say that, um, so there's a saying that I really like that relates to the census, but also relates to life. Yes. Um, and it comes from our original Americans. So it says, the Hopi say that we are in the fourth world. The fourth world is the world of turning. And in the fourth world, no matter what you deserve, you're only going to get what you're capable of asking for. Mm. So the census is a 10-minute form that you fill out that says to the government, I want what I deserve, and I'm capable of asking for it. It is not an entitlement. It is what you are entitled to. It is a, it is a right granted to you by the Constitution. It is a government-sponsored love letter to your descendants that says, I'm here, we were here, I matter, you matter, and here's where I was, and I left this little trace for you to find, you know, generations in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Perry Francis. And in closing today, again, this is Sheila Speaks. This is Sheila James. We're committed that our conversations be educational, empowering, impactful, and inspiring. So I want to leave each of you who are listening out there today and who heard this conversation. Make sure you share this with your friends, neighbors, and families. Make sure you remind your pastors, your ministers, to say something about the census. We, I can tell it's just so not there right now. Not a problem, but if you're listening, I'm counting on you, we're counting on you. As Perry Francis says, you count, you matter, and only you can make that difference. The schools, the teachers, people you work with, you know, spread the word, complete your census today. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.